Welcome to episode number five of the Marketing Honestly Show. My name is Brad, your Catholic buddy, Hussey. Did I just say that on a marketing podcast? And in today's episode, we're going to be discussing, and by discussing, I mean I'm going to talk to myself in my basement studio while quarantined at home about the ethics of charging more for your services if you suspect that your client is wealthy or that business makes a lot of money. Should you charge more money for clients who have more money? Should you charge less money for clients who you think don't have a lot of money? We're going to talk about that. Also, bonus points for those of you who can hear the sounds of vacuums, stomping, children yelling, and laughter throughout the whole thing. Okay. Welcome to Marketing Honestly, a podcast that helps internet-powered entrepreneurs become more ethical and honest marketers. All right. So this question comes from an email from a reader slash listener. And it says, is it fair to base your pricing on how much people can afford? For example, charging a large and wealthy company a lot more, or should it always be based on fairness and good value? Even if the company is willing to pay your artificially high fees. All right. I've got some opinions on that question. And I'm going to answer that in just a sec, but first I want to shout out all of the awesome people who left reviews and ratings on the podcast. I just sent out an email to everyone who's shown interest in the podcast saying, Hey, would you mind leaving a rating or in review? Apparently that's the thing you got to do when you come up, become a podcaster. You have to to tell everybody to rate and review on Apple podcasts or iTunes, whatever we call it nowadays. But also the other confusing thing is apparently most people don't actually listen to podcasts on Apple. They listen to it on Google play. And then there are a million other places to listen to podcasts. So I'm confused. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who's listening, who's subscribed, who's downloaded, whatever you have to say uh, about podcasts. I don't really know what the terminology is. I'm new to this, but I really appreciate all your kind words, your emails, your messages, and your reviews here on Apple Podcasts. So I'm going to shout a few of you out here. I'm going to read some of these reviews and, uh, and then we'll jump right into my answer. And J3MB92 says, time to break my vow. I like this one. Listen up. I vowed never to subscribe to anything marketing. I grew up in sales and I was so disillusioned I went to work for nonprofits. But this, this gives me hope. After listening to the first three shows, I decided to break my vow. I subscribed. The specific examples and suggestions of improved content is very valuable. I don't have time for long-winded fluff. This is concise, picked, full of information. Keep up the higher standards. This is so cool. I really appreciate it. There's nine or ten more here on the list. I'm not going to read them all out right now, but in in the next episode and the upcoming episodes, I'm going to make a an effort to thank everyone here who leaves a review, whether it is kind or totally the opposite. All right, let's jump into my answer to the question at the top of the show. So I'm going to answer this question first by telling a quick story about my first big budget project as a freelance web designer. So in my first year as a freelancer, going full time, I'd been used to working with clients with like small budgets, you know, $1,000 to $3,000 for custom websites, which is a pretty standard range of price for new freelance web designers doing, you know, one, two, $3,000 custom websites. So then one day I received an email from a colleague of mine who was working at a reputable advertising agency. And he wanted me to quote on a custom website project for the agency he was working for. So I looked over the project specs and quickly turned around with a price in the ballpark of 4,000 ish dollars. I don't remember the exact number, but it was, it was a little bit higher than I was used to. And I thought, Oh, that's, this is a good price. I would be really excited about this price. It looks like a relatively big project, but I think 4,000 is probably what I should charge. Not long after he replied to me and said something along the lines of, 
Brad, before I submit your proposal to the boss, I'm going to ask that you at least double your price. We're receiving bids from other agencies who are quoting $30,000 to $50,000 for this same project. I know that you can handle this project, but you won't be taken seriously with such a small price. So I was really surprised, quite shocked. I've never had an email like that before, but I took his advice and I changed my fee to at least double the price and resubmitted the proposal. I won the bid. I delivered the project in record time. It was a big project. It was bigger than I'd worked on before, but it was held to a higher standard. I was working with an agency who had higher expectations, higher standards, and expected a level of quality that I knew I could deliver and my colleague knew that I could deliver as well. I just hadn't been working with those clients before. And that client ended up being a client I've had, I had for years. And they sent me a lot of work over the years, especially at the beginning at a price that we were both really pleased with. So that was when I realized that the work I was doing was valuable and high quality. And some clients were willing to pay premium fees for that quality work. So to further drive home this point, there's one more freelancing story I have. And another colleague of mine who was running a successful SEO agency, SEO meaning search engine optimization for those who don't know what that means, he would routinely send me new clients. He sent me an email and said, hey, I got a lot of work that I don't really need. Do you mind if I send it to you? I said, perfect, make it happen, man. And some of those clients are really good clients and they were anywhere between, you know, two to $5,000. Sometimes there were low one-off projects for a few hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or something like that. Problem is, is when you get a high volume of low budget clients, it's, it's overwhelming because every person has high expectations regardless of their budget. And it's a lot of upstart time. It's a lot of onboarding. It's a lot of offboarding. It's a lot of client management. And it's when you're just a one person shop with maybe a subcontractor and a project manager, it's a lot of work for relatively low pay. So you could be working with like 10, $1,000 clients and you might think, wow, I'm making $10,000 a month. That's so great. But you're working like a dog and it's stressful and overwhelming and, and it leads to burnout. So it's a lot nicer to work with a few high quality, high budget clients because you're not working with as many people. You can dedicate your time and energy. You can deliver high quality rather than just churning out and hustling all the time. So anyway, back to this client, the SEO agency, he would send me quite a bit of work in those low budget, low low ticket range clients. And so I didn't really need much work at the time. I was happy with the amount of work I was getting and I just didn't need a lot more low budget clients. So I sent my colleague an email and it was more along, more so along the lines of this. Hey pal, thanks for the clients. I don't really need much work right now. And some of these clients are bad apples and I'd rather not work with them. Please only send me clients who have budgets greater than $10,000. I sent that email fully thinking he was just going to say, bad chance, bro. Nice knowing you. And that was kind of my intention. I didn't need the work. I was fine not getting any more referrals from him. And it was my way of saying, I mean, if he has work that's over 10,000 bucks, great, I'll take it. But it's probably just going to mean he's it's just probably just going to mean he's not going to send any more, me any more work. Anyway, he responded with, you got it, man. I got a few of those too. <laughs> so I was, again, shocked. And, uh, and then it, ultimately... He sent me a couple more projects at high, you know, uh, high project, uh, high budget ranges, but specifically he sent me the largest budget project I'd ever worked on to the tune of a few tens of thousands of dollars. However, to be totally honest, it was too big 
for a one person shop, you know, with a subcontractor and a project manager, which was the size of, you know, how I'd been doing freelancing at the time. It was too long a time frame, and it was way too much of a headache for what it was worth. I would rather work on on mid-range projects. You know, more money, more problems, right? What, what can I do for you? Show me the money. Too many low-budget clients is too much of a headache. And if you're not equipped to deal with a massive high-ticket project like $20,000, to $50,000, and you're a solo shop or you're just a small agency, and you're not equipped to deal with that size of project it's also going to be a headache somewhere in that middle range, you know, five to $15,000 as a small freelance, you know, shop with one person or a few people as a small agency. It's probably a magic number. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is the size of your client will most definitely affect the price of your services. I wouldn't have got that high budget client at the time that, you know, eight to $10,000 agency client, if I would have just charged them my usual two to $3,000 rate. They would have just laughed me out of the room because I'm clearly not equipped. I'm a small fish and they wouldn't trust me, right? You get what you pay for. Now there are clients with low budgets and there are clients with high budgets. And sometimes both of them want the same thing. So my $2,000 clients would pretty much want the same thing that my $8,000 clients would want. The difference between the $2,000 and $8,000 client was the $2,000 client was maybe a small client, didn't really have a longer vision, maybe it was a smaller business, and they that was the maximum of their budget. Whereas the $8,000 client was probably part of a larger scope, larger project, a bigger campaign, you know, they were more established business, bigger budget, bigger revenue, and they wanted high quality contractors and freelancers to help them you know, with their workload. You know, if you're positioning yourself in front of low budget clients, they're going to have high, ex high expectations with their budget, which is $2,000. If you're positioning yourself in front of high budget clients like agencies or larger businesses, larger companies, they're also going to have high expectations, but they have larger budgets and therefore you don't need to work with a bunch of them in order to make a good living. So bigger clients aren't only paying high prices because they have more money to throw around. In fact, they didn't get big and successful because they wasted money. They were probably very smart with their money. And so it's rather it's because they understand you get what you pay for. So they're not just going to throw money around because they've got it. They're going to be wise with their money, ideally. So as a freelancer or service provider, you get to choose whom you want to work with. If you charge low rates, you're probably going to attract and work with smaller clients with smaller budgets and then ultimately repel clients with high budgets since they'll assume that you're just not, you're just not equipped. And if you charge higher rates and you can justify those rates, you're probably going to attract and work with higher budget clients and repel low budget clients since they just can't afford your prices. Now, that said, I do have a few caveats. I don't think that you should ever artificially inflate your rates simply because you, you assume a client is wealthy. So the first question was, should I charge high prices for wealthy clients? Well, one, how do you know they're wealthy? Two, you know, don't assume that someone is wealthy. And three, don't assume because they seem like they have money that you should just try and get more money out of them. That's, that's wrong. That's unethical. That's just not right. So just artificially saying, well, well, you know, I've got a pretty crummy service and I'm not very good at what I do. I'm just starting out. But you know what? This person was foolish enough to land on my doorstep and trust me. So I should probably take advantage of them. That's wrong. Now, when it comes to your price as a freelancer, new business service provider, 
a lot of the time these new businesses and freelancers just come up with an arbitrary number based on what other people charge or what they feel like is the right price. But the reality is, is your price comes with a lot of baggage and there are a lot of factors that determine what your price should be. One of them is the size of your client, but that's only one of about a dozen or more factors. So your price whether you're charging hourly, fixed rate, monthly fees, retainers, weekly rates, uh, equity-based, there's lots of different ways that you can price. But you need to account for a lot of things, such as your income requirements, what you want to pay yourself, your salary, your lifestyle costs, you know, your goals, things like that, retirement, your cost of living, your business expenses, your healthcare and insurance. This is particularly true if you were in the United States and you have higher insurance and healthcare bills, taxes, and working hours and vacation time. So if you want to work a normal nine to five, 40 hours a week sort of schedule, or if you are homeschooling your kids or you are working on the side, you need to take into account how often you're billing hours and how often you're not working. The size of your client, there you go. That's one of the factors that come into to play. Is it a small mom and pop shop? Is it a local church? Or is it a Fortune 500 company who's going to have super high expectations for premium quality product? The value of the project to you. So this is, is it valuable to you or is, are you just doing it for the money? Nothing wrong with just doing it for the money. If it's a project and it's just going to help pay the bills and add revenue to your business and, and keep the lights on. Sure. You probably might charge a little bit more for that. Whereas something you're really passionate about, you might charge a little bit less because you're getting more than just money from it. Your experience and your expertise. Can you actually, are you good at what you do or are you just new or you're not that good or you're learning that's going to come into play. When I hire uh, an, an expert, when I hire a consultant, when I hire a business, I expect to pay more for someone who's been doing it for 20 years versus someone who's been doing it for one. Because the person who's been doing it for 20 years, it's in their bones, it's in muscle memory. The new person is probably still coming across roadblocks they don't know how to deal with. So that comes into play. Project urgency and timeline. Does the client want it yesterday or are they? is this like a, a project that's you know a reasonable time frame that you can do amidst all of your other projects. Something that needs to happen right away, higher price. You pay for convenience, you pay for quicker turnaround time, right? How beneficial will the project be to you? Is it something you can put on your portfolio or are you under uh, you know, a contractual obligation to not talk about the project because it's highly confidential? So you're not going to have any marketing benefit. You're not going to have any marketing material from working with that client because you're under contractual obligation to not talk about it. So, okay, you might charge a bit more because you can't put your logo at the bottom of their website. Website built by Brightside Studios, so on and so forth. And also, what do other people charge for a similar product or service? Is this usually a high-priced product? Is this usually a low-priced service? All these things come into the formula of what your price should be, just to name a few factors. So the size of your client and the budget range they're prepared to pay is only one of those factors. So now on a quick side note here to help you determine an ethical price using a logical and mathematical approach, if you go to marketinghonestly.com and check out this blog post, go to the show notes in this episode as well. Um, in the, in the marketing honestly blog, I have an article that's associated with this blog post called pricing your services fairly. And I have a, a pricing calculator that. I've put together that takes all these things into account. You put in your income requirements, cost of living, size of client, value of the project, so on and so forth. And it will help determine your hourly rate, which will then turn into your base rate, which will then affect your weekly rate, your monthly rate, your retainers, and you know how you should price your products and services on kind of a sliding scale. And 
that's how I think you should price. It's not an arbitrary number and it's not only based on if the client has lots of money or not. So in conclusion, the price you charge is dependent on many factors. Your local nonprofit or your church should pay a different price than a Fortune 500 company with a much higher expectations and budget range. If you want to charge premium prices for quality work, there's nothing wrong with that so long as you can walk the walk. And if you want to remain affordable to low-budget clients, consider creating a lower-ticket productized service that's easy for you and your team to produce. For example, if you want to build, if you're building high-quality $10,000 and up websites for startups and, and larger companies, but you still want to be able to build websites for nonprofits or say your church or churches, you could build a system where you have themes, where you build a theme for churches and they purchase one of your themes and then you could quickly install it and get it set up for them. Or you can have a, a lower budget for certain types of clients simply because they don't have the same budget as a, a, a you know, a multi six or seven figure corporation. So I hope that sheds a little bit of light on how you can price your services fairly and how your price is dependent on a number of factors, one of which is the size of your client. And before we wrap the show, it's time to play my favorite game show you've never heard of called Is It Honest Though? Welcome to another edition of Is It Honest Though? The game show that digs into the latest and greatest tactics used by internet marketers across the world so that you, the public, knows, is this tactic honest though? So the tactic we're going to look at is scarcity. So, you know, the concept, the economic concept of supply and demand. If there's not a lot of supply, there's more demand, right? I think that's how it is. If there's not a lot of supply, there's more demand. Yeah, kind of like toilet paper during the whole coronavirus quarantine thing where everyone thought that coronavirus was about toilet paper and how we needed to buy more toilet paper for some reason. Anyway, I bought a bidet, so I don't even need toilet paper. Anyway, potty talk aside, let's move away from that. Scarcity is simply when the market perceives that something is scarce and there's not a lot available, then people tend to want it. Scarcity in and of itself is not unethical, is not a bad thing, if it is true. But if you're lying about scarcity, that's different. All right, let's use webinars, for example. When you want people to register for your webinar, you need to encourage them to register. And you have to send a few emails to get people to sign up to register to enter their email so they'll be notified when you're live on your webinar. You can use scarcity by saying there are a limited amount of seats for this webinar. Now, that can be a, the truth or that can be a full-on lie. It's the truth when you literally only have a limited amount of seats. So for example, if you're using a free software or you're paying for software and you only are permitted a certain amount of seats to watch your webinar, then saying I only have 50 seats or 100 seats available is actually truthful. That being said, you can also totally lie about it and say there are a limited amount of seats, so hurry up and grab your spot before somebody else snatches it up from and under your nose. But there, you could just have a, you can have thousands of people on your webinar. If there's no limit at all, you're just simply, you're just making it up. In that case, it's unethical. Let's use courses. Another example as in courses, you can use scarcity in an honest and ethical manner by saying I'm pre-launching my course at a discounted rate and I'm only accepting 50 people at this discounted rate. You can tell the truth and actually cap out your coupons. So if you have a 50% off coupon code and you say only limit this to 50 customers, then you'd be telling the truth when saying I'm only doing this for 50 customers. Or you can fully lie about it and say, I'm only doing this for 50 customers, so hurry up and grab it now before somebody else takes it and get as many customers as you want. 
That would be an unethical use of scarcity. So in scarcity in and of itself is not a bad tactic. It's actually a really good way of encouraging somebody to get off the fence and do something. If you have a good product and you have a good match for a potential customer and you want them to decide either yes or no, using scarcity is a way to give them a little kick in the rear end to do something. Now, if you're using fake scarcity to kick them over the edge, then that's wrong. And the verdict is in. Is this tactic honest though? Scarcity in and of itself is not an unethical tactic. It's just a neutral tool that can be used for good or for manipulation and evil. So with that being said, I will give scarcity a marketing honestly score of three deadline timers out of five fake live webinars. Do with that score what you will. Well, friends, that's it for today. Thanks for the chat. If you like what I'm doing here at Marketing Honestly, you can show your support by subscribing to the show, leaving a review, sharing with a friend, or heading to marketinghonestly.com for more radical ways to build an ethical online business without the hype. Thank you for listening. My name is Brad Hussey, and remember, honesty is the best marketing.